This is Apologetic Live with Matt Slick and Andrew Rappaport, part of the Christian Podcast Community. All right, we are live. Apologetics Live, glad to have you with us. And we are here every Thursday night uh, for folks who are joining in. If you want to join in the discussion, you can go to apologeticslive.com. There are links there to be able to join in the discussion. If you're looking at the title of today's show. Before we get to open Q&A, it is called Catholics Running Scared. We're going to discuss why all the Catholics seem to be running scared of little old me. Come on, I'm not that scary. But they sure seem to be scared of me. So before we get to that, to some other things I want to get to. First off, uh, would like to address uh, something that was in the news, if you have seen this, and it is the fact that there was a shooting at a synagogue the last day of Passover. This is, we saw a shooting in a church, which started uh, first day of just before you know Passover, the first day of Passover, and uh, it was Resurrection Sunday. I did a podcast about the the attacks in Sri Lanka, and that was something that um, we're seeing a pattern here. And here's the thing: if you go to my Andrew Rapport's Rap Report, you'll be able to listen to the. To what I had done on, oh, there, there we go. I think no one was hearing me this whole time. All right, let's try this again. Wow, I muted in the wrong spot. So I've been sitting here, and Eli's just not even telling me that I'm muted. I'm going to blame I, him. I literally just signed on. Yeah, I'm blaming you anyway. All right, so let's try that again. So uh, what I what I was sharing that you guys couldn't hear about as you just watched my mouth move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I hope that all can hear me now. Uh, it helps when I, you unmute. So <laughs> technology, it's so easy to figure out, right, Eli? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, what we started off with, as I, I mentioned, that if you look at the title of the show, the show is titled Catholics Running Scared. We will get to why it is the Catholics seem to be running scared of little old me. I don't think I'm that intimidating, but I guess they are scared of me for some reason. Uh, we'll see if they are or are not. If they show up here, all these people that want to challenge me, then maybe they won't be scared. But since they all said that they won't show up, they're scared. So, um, and we'll probably see them all in the chat, Eli, is what we're going to see. <laughs> so this is uh, Apologetics Live, uh, Ministry of Striving for Eternity. Um, we're glad to have you with us. And Matt Slick will not be here as he's getting carpet put into the house. So that he, he's trying to get ready to move. So he's not going to be here tonight again. And I'll get my chance because I'll be leaving for the Philippines and he's going to have a couple of weeks without me. He'll have to handle that. Uh, we'll have either Eli, we'll have Anthony Silvestro, some folks come in. Now, 
What I started off with discussing before I want to get to the Catholics running scared is the fact that there was another shooting. We had a shooting in Sri Lanka, Resurrection Sunday, on a holy day within Christianity. Um, We had a now the last day of Passover, a shooting in a synagogue. Now, if you listen to my rap report, the Andrew Rapport's Rap Report podcast, you know that I dealt with this in detail on this whole thing in Sri Lanka. And the pattern that I lay out in there, we see continues. If you listen to that, we went through how in Sri Lanka, we saw it interesting that an attack can be on Christians, and they don't want to mention anything about Christians being the victims. Instead, they just call them Easter worshipers. Very interesting. We now see that in Sri Lanka, they didn't want to announce who it was that did the attacking because that didn't work with the narrative that they like interesting to we go with. We now see that I'm hearing an echo. That's good. We'll shut that off. Um, Technology is working really well for me tonight, Eli. <laughs> I can't even say it's because Matt's not here because he's worse with the technology. So, uh, so, but if you did, you know, here's the thing I thought so interesting in Sri Lanka. And what we saw in Sri Lanka is that they were very quick to, uh, or I should say not in Sri Lanka, but in in other cases where they can try to say that a Christian's involved. Um, When we had in Christchurch, New Zealand, they were very quick to say it was a Christian when the gentleman who did this in his own manifesto is not Christian, we now see a, a, a shooting in a synagogue, and they're very quick to put out there that he's a churchgoer. He's an OPC member or attender, I should say, not, not member. His father is a, a leader in, in that church, and so he was at 19, I guess, so he was attending that church. That doesn't mean he's a member, and it doesn't mean he believes the things. It was kind of interesting that he supposedly likes to challenge uh, evangelical pastors, is what I saw in one article. So he's out there, and just because he attends church, that must mean this is all Christians are guilty of this. Now, this is the thing I find so disturbing. And, and Eli, maybe you'll have an opinion on this, but what I find so disturbing is the fact that you see the Muslims that attacked in Sri Lanka gave the argument that they did this because this was retaliation on what the Christians did in Christ church. That is disturbing because the guy who did that in Christ church is not a Christian. It's the media that put it out there that he's a Christian. And so... It's really disturbing because here they have a false narrative and now people are coming after Christians even more. And by the way, I understand, I dealt with this on my podcast, I understand that they went after Catholics. Catholics are not Christian. Uh, they they can't say they're Christian like us because, well, they would say that we're condemned to hell according to their Vatican documents. Uh, if you believe in grace alone, that's anathema. So they wouldn't say it. So I don't see any problem with saying they're not Christian when they say we're not Catholic. It's the same thing. So we understand that, but Muslims would not. And so they attacked those the Catholics because they thought they were Christian. Um, and, and it's really disturbing because they're doing this based off a false narrative. Uh, so first off, those that were involved in this attack, our hearts go out, uh, or we, we do pray that the Lord would use this 
in the lives of the people involved that they may come to know Christ through this. God can use evil to bring about his good. And so we're praying for those families. Uh, Eli, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that before I switch to another couple topics. No, just real quick, I think it's important to make a distinction between what people do and what is the foundation of what they believe. A lot of people will... Um, who don't have a critical eye on these things and really speak from a place of emotion, uh, they'll say, look, see, Christians, you know, Christianity and religion produces violence. And while it's true, religion has produced violence, the real issue is, does that have any bearing as to the actual teachings of that particular religion? Does a Christian acting violently, is he or she acting consistent with what the Bible actually teaches? And I think that's a fundamental uh, distinction that we need to make, lest we clump all type of religious radical, you know, behavior, we clump it all into, well, all religions are like that, and that's what all religions teach, and that's that's not the case. And do you know the fallacy that that would be called? I'm sorry? Do you know which logical fallacy that would be called? Oh, uh, well, I, it depends how it's formulated, but it, it can be related to the genetic fallacy. Correct. You something as to how someone comes to believe it, or you're guilty by association, you know, your religion, your religion has produced certain people who act certain ways and they kind of make that disconnect as as to that somehow has a connection with what the religion actually teaches and, and that's not the case. And that's exactly how we're seeing this being used as a genetic fallacy. Mm-hmm. So all Christians are not, I mean, unless this is a Christian teaching, if, if this is something we could support from scripture that we should be uh, going in and murdering people, Mm-hmm. that would be one thing, but you can't make that case from Scripture. Right, and a lot of people try to make that connection by pointing to the um, the, the conquest of the land of Canaan. And people, again, usually people people will use that connection and say, see, God commands people to do stuff all the time. <laughs> all the time he commands it. Yeah, because uh, we have and, one uh, case. <laughs> so again, people don't, re- and, the, and for, for me, just from an apologetic standpoint, I think the, one of the most difficult conversations you could have are questions relating to Old Testament ethics, not because we don't have an answer, but because the answer requires some background knowledge that the person who brings the objection really has no interest in listening to. So, you know, you can throw these bombs and kind of like, well, I want to respond, but, you know, do you really want to know the answer? Because then we need to have a conversation about context and things like that. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, I I think I I started saying earlier before I unmuted myself, uh, if anyone wants to join in on the discussion about what we're discussing now or any other topic, it's we will have open Q&A as well. So you can go to apologeticslive.com. The links are there. You would be able to get the links to join from there. You can watch from there, either one. Uh, Actually, I'll drop the link into the chat as well. So, Another thing I want to that I was asked to bring up, and I said I'd bring it up tonight. And Eli, I don't know if you followed any of this, but there uh, the court ruled uh, there was an Olympic runner, and the court ruled, and and this this person is a two time Olympic champion, and the court ruled that this person is not allowed to compete anymore as a woman unless he, she takes hormone-suppressing drugs to compete. In other words, you have someone that is a biological male that is in, or at least identifies as a female, competing against females, and they're basically saying she's, she, he is winning lots of, you know, 
Olympic records, right? Getting, getting one two-time Olympic champion. Um, and so what do you end up seeing? You end up seeing that there, you know, this is, I think, going to be where this logically ends up going. It's the sports that are going to be a demise. I mean, the, when you had like Title IX in colleges to say that there has to be, even if, if you have male sports, you have to have, offer female sports so the girls can get the scholarships, the, the sports scholarships. And now we're looking at this, I mean, this is going to really, I think, destroy sports because you're, you, you, at least female sports. Because you have so many, there was a, uh, I had seen another one. Let me see if I could pull that up real quick. There was a, um, uh, what was a bench press uh, for women's bench press. It, it's a, again, a male, a biological male that is competing without taking steroids. Now, I, I also think at the other level, we see uh, there was a girl wrestler, high school wrestler. She was one, uh, I, I think nationals and she was taking steroids because she was in transition to a male. And the problem I saw there is if she's if she's taking the steroids, she wouldn't be able to take the steroids at any other time. They, they would, it's a performance-enhancing drug, and therefore that gave her an advantage over the other girls. And so if she was wrestling boys with, with that, that might be one thing, but I think this is where I see such an issue, is the fact that we see... We see the the crossover here where people can can take advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't follow team sports much, Eli. I don't know if you do. Yeah, I have. No, I have no time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have multiple. I have one, two, three. I have like three or four jobs. <laughs> That's it. Come on, man, get up to speed. I know. I know. You know, I used to back in the '90s. I was I was a huge Bulls fan, so I used to watch basketball obsessively, and I played basketball, played high school, and everything. And then once I went out to the real world and got a job, and I have no time to follow it. It's I wish I could. But but how often do you see in sports the issue of taking drugs or taking things to give enhancements? I mean, yeah. It's a it's a real issue. They uh, you you see these in almost every sport I could think of. You end up having people that are trying to gain the system because there's a lot of advantage to winning, right? And that's exactly what we end up seeing in these in these sports now, where you have people able to use the the fact that they are in transition uh, to be able to justify either taking performance enhancing drugs or having men compete against women, and you know it gives them a unfair advantage. They're they're you know, I think it's interesting that, that the court ruled this way. I think it's probably the right ruling to say if you're going to compete as a woman, um, you know, it, it would have to be, you know, with without having the the, the enhancements. Um, and Andrew here is in the, in the chat saying, imagine if Lance Armstrong had done that. And, and the reality is, you know, I was thinking of Lance Armstrong when I was thinking of the different sports, Andrew, because, you know, here's a guy that was really heralded because he came back from cancer and you know people looked at him as someone that really was doing phenomenal only to discover that he was phenomenal at hiding the drug tests and (laughs) the drugs that he was taking and that really gave him the the advantage and and he got stripped of that and you know here's people that were competing against him 
that maybe were not taking the drugs and they should have gotten the awards. I think of this high school, you know, this this person in high school, this girl who's competing, She's get she can get scholarships to go to college. But there's other people that are losing out on that. You look at this Olympian who's winning, but then you have others who are losing out. And sh- is that fair? That's, I think, a legitimate question to be asked. So any thoughts on that one, Eli? Um, oh, it sounds like it's uh, the world of sports is in quite a mess. <laughs> I, I think I think it's funny how our society has so quickly thrown out logic and, and people don't see why this is an issue. I mean, in the name of, of equality, you know, people kind of just bypass really. I mean, it seems <laughs> it seems so silly <laughs> for someone that is is biologically a man to compete against women just for the sake of diversity and things like that. I think it's um, it's silly. It shows a lack of uh, critical thinking and, and logic, and it just shows that our society runs uh, on the fumes. <laughs> it runs on the fumes of, uh, of inclusivity um, and diversity without any care for what's true and, and what's right. Well, and that's, I think, what you end up seeing is people are gaining powerful positions because of arguments and when you gain power because of an argument, you have to keep that argument going. You, it, it, you have to keep it going to keep your power base. Therefore, you'll throw out critical thinking. You'll throw out logic. I mean, right. I think I've done either here or on my podcast. I can't remember. I think it might have been on my podcast, The Rap Report. I dealt with this issue of really how when you look at this issue with transgenderism and all that, those that used to argue for science – and that science over faith have now thrown out the science. Right. Because it's, you know, here's the, here's the thing to really think about. When we look at biology, you're, I mean, they're male, they're female. They argue in, in, in the atheistic worldview, the argument is that you, it's just chemical reactions. Everything's mm-hmm. just a chemical reaction. Well, if you're just a chemical reaction, a result of chemicals, then if you're a biological male, you will be male and you will identify as male and you will be everything that a man is because that's the chemistry. So every time they appeal to an identity that I, I feel something different, I identify as the opposite gender. They can't appeal to science. They're appealing to something immaterial, something outside of themselves. They, they can't appeal to an X or Y chromosome. So here's the people that say there is no God, there is no immaterial part of us, everything's just the material world, we're just chemical reactions, and then they say they identify outside of the chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. They, they've actually given up their whole argument, and I don't think they even realize it. They don't notice what they've done. That in arguing for this, I think they've undermined their their whole worldview of atheism for those that claim to be atheist. So it, it, it's really a, a house of cards that collapses. So what I want to do first, um, until some folks come in here, and I, I know Andrew's in here, you're in here first, so you'll be the first one we get to some questions. Um, but there were a number of Roman Catholics who were very upset with last week. Uh, last week we had James come in, and Eli, I wish, I really wish, I, I'm too honest of a person, I wish that I kept recording after we went off air 
so that everyone could have heard the discussion with James that Anthony and I had afterwards, but okay. we didn't record that. Uh, and if I did record it, I would it would be unfair to probably play that since that wasn't supposed to be live. But we had a, an interesting conversation after. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing is, is that one of the things I uh, appeal that I made to him is he wants to argue that Roman Catholicism is true, and yet... In the process of discussion last week, he used five logical fallacies to make his argument. Mm-hmm. And I said, if, if, you, if you have to appeal to a logical fallacy to make your argument, your argument's invalid, therefore it's wrong. It's, it's really hard for me to say, I'm going to believe in something that you can't argue logically and consistently that you have to appeal to fallacies to make the case. He argued that he that the scriptures teach that you need to be baptized to be saved. He based this out of uh, Acts 2, 37 to 38. He said that that's what scripture says. I said that was his interpretation. And I read that passage. And he said it clearly shows, and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa stop. It doesn't say what you said it says. In fact, if you look at that passage, it doesn't mention water baptism at all. It mentions the Holy Spirit and the giving of gifts. This is the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what we see is that there's a problem that he had in that I was just reading Scripture. He's interpreting Scripture, and that's kind of bad because I think his church says that you're not allowed to have private interpretation. Now, how do I know that all of the guys that follow in Catholicism that were watching that show know that he did a really bad job? Because all week on Twitter, on Facebook, in private messages, I've been dealing with Catholics all week long, trying to argue his, well, they actually aren't trying to argue his argument from the way he argued it. They're trying to say he's right by arguing something else. <laughs> they want to bring up other verses, or they want to say that I was, uh, I, one person claimed I was rude and not letting him speak. Now, Andrew, rude? Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if you, ta- if you listen to that show last week, you see that I let him explain his views, but then when it got time for me to counter one of the things that I would do is ask a simple yes-no question. What he'll do is he'll either not answer and go on to another topic, or he'll answer real quick and then jump to another thing. So he wants to spit out a bunch of verses to avoid the fact that I just proved the, what he said was wrong. And it's a tactic. It's not, he's not new to this show. We've seen him here before. And so because of that, I was used to seeing the tactics that he does. And so... What I was doing was saying we stick to one topic. This is what you do with a steamroller. Apologetics Live is to help you guys learn how to do apologetics. We want to teach you. You get to see live examples. What you saw there is a classic steamroller. And so what you do with a steamroller is you get, and if you, you want a good uh, book that helps you with this, get Greg Kokel's book, Tactics. Uh, the steamroller is a, a tactic that he that he create or states and so what you see with the steamrollers they just want to keep going they want to roll right over you they want to give you so many passages of scripture that you have no time to respond to all of them and or or say so many different things that you you can't respond to everything and we may eli i think you and i are going to talk about someone that has uses that same tactic maybe a little in, in a bit um 
but with a steamroller, you have to establish the rules. And the rules were where you're going to stick to, you know, let's stick to the verse that he said teaches this. And then he wants to jump all over the place everywhere else. Well, that's not sticking to the rules. And if, if he doesn't stick to rules, what you do is you shame the person to show that they are not following the, the guidelines, the rules. That's not being rude. The rudeness was in the fact that you're a, I'm asking a yes or no question and he's deciding to answer other things or going off the topic of this verse and what the, the Acts 2 says and try to answer something else. That's the rudeness. Now, we've ha- I had a number of Catholics. None of them are here, though, Eli. You, you, you don't see any Catholics in here. Well, John's here. He may be Catholic. <laughs> he's saying no and andrew just dropped out maybe he <laughs> no we know andrew's not catholic so the the thing that you end up seeing is over and over again you'll see these keyboard warriors one guy and, and eli you're gonna love this one guy on facebook said he hammered me in a debate on baptism mm-hmm. hammered me you know what the problem was he and i never debated there you go. So he hammered <laughs> me. Hammered by an imaginary opponent. <laughs> yes, he, he hammered me in his mind. Do you see him here? No. No, he, he's not here to, to defend himself. He's not here to show how the world how he hammered me. But, you know, he's, he hammered me. I, I, I find that so interesting, these keyboard warriors. And this is, this is why I say they're running scared. They all have to, a way that you can see this, I, I don't know if you've seen this, Eli, with folks online, is when they see a, a show like this, they see two people debate a, an issue, and their side loses. They're quick to go and say how their side actually won, and try to make the case that their side won and their side did the better job, and they've they really they nailed the 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 issue, and yet they do that without even you know having even the basics of saying, well, let me let me answer. It's just claims, and it's they want to defend their art, you know, the guy, their guy, and yet. When they're defending their guy, they're not, they're not even looking to see what the argument is. They're not willing to come in and actually have the discussion. I mean, I'm supposedly this big, nasty guy. I, 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 I didn't, don't have that view of, of myself that I'm the big debating kind of guy that uh, uh, just you know, rolls over people. But uh, for a guy who claimed he hammered me in a debate, don't you think he should be here? Yeah, I look forward to listening. Yeah, and then then we had we had uh, someone that said uh, I wasn't. It was a waste of his time to come on here, and I I kind of find that funny because he wasted at least several hours. I mean, just today, several hours, and I kept saying, "Well, if it's a waste of your time, what are you still doing here?" Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> kind of a funny thing because he's he's got plenty of time to to be online behind a keyboard and. Uh, you know, make claims, but um, not come in here. And I I find that so interesting is when you get guys that make arguments like that, that it's a waste of their time as they continue. Now, now here's the thing that's so funny is the guy sent me a message on Facebook demanding, why haven't I answered his argument from like several hours before? I'm like, "Uh, because I actually have a life and a job. Like I work. Maybe you don't. 
I, these people that think like, and, and and his argument, I guess, is because I didn't answer in in enough time, that must be where he, where he hammered me. Ah, uh, okay. Um, you know, in an actual debate, you'd both be discussing something. It's it's almost like the black Hebrew Israelite a couple weeks ago that told me that if I didn't give him, a, if I didn't give a detailed long response, then he won the argument. Mm-hmm. And there I said, the only response worthy was that he was a joke. And we showed that it didn't take long to, to dismantle his argument. Yeah. Uh, Andrew there, Andrew Graham just asked the question, where does argument actually get you? And I think, I think that's a good question. Well, why don't we, I'm going to add him and let me bring him into show so he can ask that question. Oh, Okay. Okay, so Andrew, go ahead. You can unmute okay. yourself. Well, I'm unmuted. Sorry, um, I also had a connection issue before, so stupid little thing. Um, okay, so where does argument actually get you? Well, here's what we would see in the scriptures. You can look at Titus, for example, and where argumentation or where apologetics should get you is to shut the mouth of the ignorant so that you can share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I think Andrew uh, Graham. Maybe maybe I'm incorrect in assuming this, but are you asking the question from the point of via experience? Every time people argue, they never come to a conclusion anyway, and they've already had their minds made up. So what's the point? Is that the the, the thought yeah. and the question? That's that's the thought behind the pro- question. Also, saw Dale Carnegie said it way back in the 1930s. Argument gets you. Nowhere except maybe you lose a few friends. Well, okay. <laughs> well, so I'd love to hear the argument for that. Uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing that I think we need to think about is what is an argument? Because in our culture, I think nowadays people have a very negative view of an argument. Okay. Uh, when you deal in the realm of logic, argument's not a bad thing. It, when we talk argument nowadays, I think a lot of people have the mindset that an argument is like a fight where people are yelling at each other and name-calling, that isn't the case. Um, an argument is a, you know, when we deal with it in logic, is where you have a statement that is going to have a conclusion with support. And that would be the simplest yeah. way for me to explain it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We do that all the time. Everyone makes an argument. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. Um, I think I think it was the atheist I was trying to have a conversation with about six months ago. She said, it's always a debate was her conclusion. But is that a bad so thing? Basically it, 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 it depends. I mean, if, if it's where you're doing name calling and stuff like that, yeah, I could see where that could, um, that could be bad. Yeah. It, but it, any conversation that you have with a person about the subject is a debate. Yeah. Was what she was trying to get at. And she was losing very sorely, basically, <laughs> to, to my own head anyway. I don't know how to put it any other way. But, yeah, the, the question is, well, argument actually doesn't help you at all. It doesn't get you anywhere. That's the rhetorical question. Well, for, for the Christian and why we would do apologetics, because this is something that a lot of people bring up, is why should we bother? Well, we, we do this to shut the mouths of the ignorant so that we could share the gospel. Or, or the goal, if, if someone is doing apologetics to win a debate, I would say that's the wrong reason. 
If you're doing definitely, a, and I would probably agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're doing apologetics, I, I, I argue very well. The goal of apologetics for the Christian apologist is the gospel. Is to get to the gospel. That's the goal. And so we want to be able to basically, when you have someone that believes something, you want to shut that down so that you can get to giving the gospel. But if if their mouth is running on falsehood, you need to correct that at times. Not always. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't always have to, you know, go into apologetics. But there are times to shut the mouth of the ignorant. Paul explains that. Certainly. So, Andrew, do you have any other questions since you're you're here? No, that's it. Okay. That's it. Uh, John, you came in. I don't know if you had any questions tonight yet. Um, actually, now that um, Elias was here, I was going to talk to him about, or ask him about uh, his thoughts about Leighton Flowers' debate. With well, hold your horses. I know, I know, I know. I figured <laughs> you were going to make it as a topic, so. We might. We might. Let me, let me just, there, we have someone that's in here. I'm going to uh-huh. add him to the show. Uh, let me turn him up. Baptized by Jesus. But he, let me turn his volume up. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, we can. How you doing? Oh, uh, Real good. Um, I wanted to go back to about James and uh, the baptism for the Catholic Church to be, be a part of salvation. Mm-hmm. Would it be true that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would answer that question? Yeah, well, and that's what he, the the verse that this gentleman uh, that we saw last week, James, when he gave us the verse out of Acts two. When you look at it, that was referring to the Holy Spirit. He right. So he, now, what he did was he equivocated on the word baptism, and so he says that baptism, water baptism. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit are the same thing. Now, that was an argument stated. It was a claim, but not proven. But John the Baptist, when he preached, for I baptize with water, but the one coming after me will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Wasn't he preaching that baptism of the Holy Spirit is what we should look forward after Jesus was crucified. Yeah, well, and that, and that's the, I would agree with that, because that's what we saw, and I mentioned this last week, is we see this in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, Ezekiel 36, uh, about 24, 25 and following. When you look at what the Jews looked forward to for the sign in the new covenant, it was that we no longer need a priest to teach us God's word, but the Holy Spirit would indwell us, that God would indwell us himself and teach us his word. Now, we the thing is, is that we have three different types of what we call baptism, right? The, 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 the word baptismal means to dip or to plunge. Um, it was transliterated uh, by the Anglican Church because, well, you can't, you can't translate the word dip or plunge when they would practice something like sprinkling or pouring. So, and that's dealing with the water. But you have John's baptism, which you brought up. And and by the way, what's your what's your first name? Just so I, uh, Patrick. Patrick. Okay. So Patrick, yeah. you have water. You have John's baptism, like you met, you brought up. You have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you brought up, which is when the Holy Spirit indwells a believer. So you know, indwells a person, and then you have what we'll call water baptism after Jesus. So it's different than John's baptism, right? John what? plunged people in water different than after Christ in that one. 
What if I told you in John 1, 31 to 34, water baptism for John was to look for the dove to identify the Son of God? That in, this is in which, in John? In John 1, 31 to 34. Okay. And, and that says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who, who sent me baptized with water said to me, on him who you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Was, okay. Would that be fair to say that God had gave John the Baptist a sign of a dove to identify the Son of God because he could, there was no way he could identify the Son of God without having God given him a sign. Well, okay, one thing is that, just to, to make sure we properly interpret, uh, the Spirit, it wasn't a dove, it was the Spirit that descended like a dove. So that would be one you know, thing, Patrick. In Luke it says that it was in bodily form a dove. What verse is that? Um, I can't think of. Uh, yeah, let me. But it I'll, does. In, I'll have to look at that. Let me. I think that's going to be like Luke two or three. No, Luke tw- Luke three twenty two says the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily, in bodily form, like a dove. Right. Yeah. So, so would that be an actual dove or? No, that would that would be the Holy Spirit. Descending upon yeah. him, but in in the, and it would have looked like a dove, right? Mm-hmm. Enough to where John could identify it, to to know that that was the son of God or Jesus was the son of God. Yeah, I mean he do, he do, definitely looks at this and, and it's an identifier for him to to recognize Christ. What if uh, John the Baptist, after baptizing Jesus, water baptism ended? And only only thing from that point on is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, so, okay, a couple things with that. And, and what's, what's your background? Are you, a, would you be Roman Catholic? Would you be Protestant, Baptist, what? I'm just a born-again Christian for 40 years. Okay. So what, what type of church do you attend? Just so I, just so I have an, un, an understanding. Um, I actually don't attend a church, but I, what I'm doing tonight with you guys, I consider church. Okay. Uh, I, I wouldn't because none of us here would be acting as elders and deacons, uh, but we, we can have that discussion as well sometime. But but let me answer the question that you had brought up. And uh, the, the issue with, with this I would see is that we have a, a what some might so call ceremony, what some would call a symbolic act, act what some might call a sacrament, a thing that we're going to refer to as water baptism. Now, we know that John the Baptist continued baptizing after he baptized Christ. We also know that... Well, we know that it wasn't... Uh, in in John um, 4, 1, it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing. It was his disciples, and I believe that was a mistake. That What was a mistake for Jesus' disciples to baptize? Yeah, in John 4, where the Pharisees heard that Je- Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. 
Right. But then it says in Scripture that it was only uh, his disciples that were baptizing, not okay. Jesus. I think I think you're referring to John three. Um, uh, it's four one four one to five. Uh Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's uh, actually saying, yeah, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. um, Though though Jesus Jesus himself himself did not baptize baptize. anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Jesus had to go back to Galilee because it says that he had to go back to Galilee. I believe he was going back to tell the disciples to quit water baptizing because John had fulfilled his testimony. Where does it say that? That's in. Uh, I mean, what it, what it says here is he he gives the reason. He says he left Judea and departed, right? Because the Pharisees had heard, right? So it's it's the fact that the Pharisees heard that he was doing this. He he he. So but the, that the, was not true. What the Pharisees had heard. Well, I think what Andrew Rappaport is saying. I kind of want to say Andrew Graham. <laughs> Uh, is that the explanation that you just gave is not itself in the text? You, you're at that moment you are interpreting and and bringing up conjecture, conjecture that's not based in the text itself. So you may well, believe you, that's that's what happened. I think what Andrew's pointing out that that you don't get that from the text itself. Well, there's more evidence if you go to John three twenty five. Well, well, hold on before a, before we leave that this verse though, because as I look at this verse, it gives the reason. Yeah, but it, all it says is that he had to go back to Galilee. No, but it says because the Pharisees had heard this. It doesn't, it's not saying that he went there to correct them. Yeah, but I believe if you, uh, you have to go, put the whole puzzle together. But if you go to John 3.25, there was an argument over ceremonial washing with uh, John's disciples and a certain Jew. That Jew could have been Jesus telling John's disciples to quit water baptizing. Well, when you could have been, but you don't get it from the text. <laughs> exactly when you say when you say could have been, and this is well, this is the thing, Patrick. We just what we have to do is we have to look at what the text actually says because we don't because you know, okay. if we read into the text something that's not there and we twist the meaning of the passage or give it a different meaning, we no longer have God's word; we have man's word. Well, yeah, but you have to use, you have to put the, the scriptures, make the story come together. Well, but but you can't take it out of context to do that. Well, okay, well, just forget about him going back to Galilee. But the fact is, Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Why would that be? Well, if I was to give conjecture, I would guess, and it'd be purely just a guess, but I, I would think that if someone... You know, if if people had were baptized by Christ, there could have been bragging rights. I mean, we saw that in we, we saw that with in the Corinthian church that Paul had to correct some are of Apollos, some are you know of Paul that oh, you know Priscilla and Aquila is another part that proves that water baptism ended. Well, it, pr- it proved that Can there we was use a the word prove. You got to be very yeah, careful. What it what that passage in, in Acts nineteen shows is that there was a difference between John's baptism and the baptism after Christ. Eli, you were going to say something. Well, I'm just saying, when you say a verse proves something, a verse doesn't prove anything in and of itself unless you actually construct an argument from the text in a way that's consistent with other texts. You know, um, for example, if I were to say, if I were to quote James chapter 2 and say, you know, 
but faith without works is dead. See, that verse proves that you need works in order to be saved. Well, well, no, it doesn't prove anything. You need to interpret it, and then you interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. I think what you're doing, you're bringing up interesting questions, but I think much of what you're saying is based on what you think it might mean. And where you're drawing, you know, where you're drawing that from doesn't seem to be the text itself. You know, well, like for example, when you said that Jesus went for this purpose to tell them to stop baptizing, that's a that's a good theory, but that you're not getting it from the text. I think that's what the, what he's trying to point out. Well, um, how about uh, Galatians two, where Paul opposes Peter? Okay, I believe that was about water baptism too, also. Uh, and based on of, based on what? What tells based you it was on what happened at Cornelius' house in Acts ten? So, so do you ignore that the the reason they had a disagreement was clearly explained in the text? It says in verse well, eleven it, of chapter two, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself. So it gives the reason. Yeah, he drew back and he he ended up making the Gentiles get a water baptism when they already there's, received the Holy But there's nothing Spirit. about water baptism there. It, it mentions the reason. It's about him eating no. with them. No, it's about, because if you get uh, in Acts um, 10... No, 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 where, no you, you where, can't, you, uh, Patrick, you cannot explain the purpose of Galatians 2, verses 11 to 13, by jumping to some other passage and ignoring what this says. Verse 12 tells you exactly why he stood up to him. It says, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He gives you the reason. That's not about baptism. It's about withdrawing from the Gentiles when the circumcision party came. Well, let me ask you this. The vision Peter had before he baptized the Gentiles on the sheet came we're, down yeah we're not going to do that see i'm not I'm, we're not going to we're not going to pull a passage out of scripture out of context and then slam it together with another verse that you take out of context and put them together that's called proof okay. texting let so, me go so, back to galatians so, 2 then yeah it says in galatians two fourteen, i think where he forced gentiles to follow jewish customs mm-hmm. you think that was about eating that's what the text you says think, you think Peter or Paul opposed Peter because he ate with gent uh, with uh, uh, gent or with uh, Jews? Well, your your interpretation is that it's not, but the, what the text says? No, it, <laughs> the text says for before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Right, but the. Um, like I said, we have to go back to the vision that God had given Peter. Tell him never, never eat or never say anything's unclean that I've made clean. And then a little bit later, God had baptized the Gentiles in the Holy Spirit. Peter was making them clean by ceremonial washing, okay. which was wrong against the vision. So you're you're making a claim out of Galatians two, 
What you're doing is ignoring the very clear, and when we look at hermeneutics, one of the principles of interpretation is you interpret the hard to understand by the easy. It's very clear with Galatians 2 why Peter and Paul had a disagreement, why Paul you know, confronts Peter. It has nothing to do with baptism there. It had well, to do it with Well, it does, him. but you're, you're missing it. You're not seeing it. Well, you know why I'm not seeing it? Because it's not there. Well, <laughs> that's, okay. that's why I'm not seeing it. I'll read it. I'll read it again for you. We can read it. There's nothing about baptism here. And, and the argument you give is from Acts 2, which also mm-hmm. mentioned nothing about baptism in that vision. But okay. it says here in verse, in, starting at Galatians 2, 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For, now the for is a purpose statement. Okay, this is telling you yeah. the purpose. For, right. before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So you have your purpose. No, keep reading. Keep reading. Okay. Read, uh, and read the, the rest of the Jews verses. acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray in their hypocrisy. But right. when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to yep. Cephas, before all men, if if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? There's nothing show, in there that mentions okay. baptism. Show where, me scripture where he forced Gentiles to eat. I'll show you scripture. Okay. That's not even part of it's. The, it's not. Yeah, it's not part of this discussion. You're 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 injecting something into the text that's not there. And I know you say we don't see it, and I'm telling you why we don't see it because it's not there. It's not in the text. He gives a purpose statement in verse twelve on why he confronted him. So you have the purpose. If even if he's right, say say the point he's making is correct. If it's right, it's not right because it's in the text. You see what I'm saying? So even if I were to grant, hey, that's a great point. I never thought about that. You're not getting it from the text. And I think that's what Andrew is trying to say. It's not, we don't see it because it doesn't, it doesn't give the reason you're giving in the text itself. Well, how about... Uh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't move on to another topic. We're not... Well, I'm going to try to... I'm going to try to show you the whole picture instead of just well, no. pinpointing one verse. Because that's not how we interpret. We don't interpret by pulling one verse out of context, another verse out of context, and slamming them together. Okay? that That's called proof texting. Well, that's, that's studying. <laughs> no, because once you take it out of context, you don't have God's Word anymore. You, you're, you injected something into Galatians 2 that's not there. The, Galatians 2 tells you the reason that Peter and Paul had a disagreement. It has to do with well, Peter's behavior when with the Gentiles once the circumcised circumcision party yeah, came. That's what the text well, says. Well, if you go on to uh, Galatians three, where he says, "Okay, you foolish Galatians, we, no, no, stop. who bewitched you?" But what you're doing, listen, uh, Patrick, what you're doing is not the way to interpret Scripture. Okay, I'm not interpreting it. It's you a study are. that I've. Uh, it's it's not study. It's be- a mystery. It's a mystery. Okay, so you're appealing to a mystery instead of ig- and ignoring the clear reading of what the text says. Then well, I believe that um, the it Catholic doesn't matter history- what you believe. 
It really doesn't. It matters what Scripture says. And Scripture's clear on this, that you're wrong. And the, the and so moving on to try to find enough, a different way for you to explain it, this is damaging to you. I mean, I could, I'm going to guess that I think maybe this has something to do with why you don't attend church. Maybe maybe you don't want to be corrected because that's what happens in well, church. I have stories about attending church and they, they wouldn't baptize me. And uh, the, I was with the Church of Christ at one time and they refused to baptize me because I was I already knew scripture at that point and they couldn't understand. Well, okay. Based on what you're showing here, you don't know scripture. You have interpretations that well, you read into scripture. Okay. Church of Christ is also a cult. Well, not, well, not all. Not all. Some, <laughs> I know that. Some, some are, but not, because uh, there's actually some branches. That, there's some. I mean, there are some that would say yeah, you have to yeah. be baptized to be saved, but not all hold to that. So they're, well, they're kind of a uh, weird thing. You can't. Let me just say one more you know. thing. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church is correct when they say you have to be baptized to be saved if you're referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes. I would okay. agree with that. And that's, that was, that's what. That's what James was trying to tell you, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit saves, but James himself doesn't understand the truth about John's water baptism ending after he baptized Jesus. Well, the problem, the problem is, is that he, was, he equivocates on the word baptism to refer to two different things that he, he agreed were different, and then uses them in the same way. That's called the fallacy of equivocation. When you use a, a term two different ways because it has the same the, either the same word or similar in in, in this why, case baptism that's why scripture says there's only one baptism and there is no such thing as water baptism after jesus was baptized and that's the problem so, wait, so you churches today let me make sure i understand what you're saying are you saying that that after christ there was no more need for a water baptism period that's right okay. exactly yeah. okay um, and so you would you'd be saying that all the disciples that continued it and Christ's command they were were well you got to understand the great commission in Matthew 28 was Jesus telling the disciples what he was supposed to do in baptizing the holy in the holy spirit so when was, he command well let's let's look at we always want to look at the text okay yeah. so Matthew 28 this is Jesus speaking he says to the disciples, in, let's start in verse 19, and Jesus came to them, came and, sa- and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go, therefore, or going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have done, that, that I have commanded you. So you're saying... That Jesus was commanding, because this is this in the Greek is an imperative. So your okay. your argument is that Jesus is commanding them to sin. Is that no? Correct? Jesus was being commanded by God, and he was telling the disciples what God had commanded him. That's why all authority in heaven and earth is for Jesus. Otherwise, he's passing on his authority to us when we baptize. So, so Je- you're saying that Jesus is speaking to himself here. No, he's speaking to the crowd, but he's telling them what God had sent him to do. Okay. Which, go, which goes so, with John the Baptist okay. for the one who comes after me. So now let's, let's practice hermeneutics, okay, uh, so you, you can learn how to interpret. He's telling them, he's commanding them to make disciples. That's a command in, in the Greek. That's the imperative. 
Yeah, and Jesus makes disciples with baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he commands them to baptize. This is an imperative on them. So why would he command them to do something that he's supposed to do? No, he, you don't see, you're, re, you're reading it as he's telling the people what they're supposed to do, but he's telling them what God had told him to do. Where do you see that's that? Why, Where, that's see, why he starts out with all authority in heaven and earth has been but, given to but me. But Patrick, you don't see that in the text. This is just like the last passage where you, you're, you're reading something into a text that's not there. All I'm doing over and over again with you is reading the text. That's all I'm doing. Well, you're failing to, you're failing to listen to the truth. No, no, because I have God's word. This is a new doctrine word. that's got to come out. I, I understand. It's a false doctrine from the devil, no, it maybe. Ain't. It's a truth. It's a new doctrine. It's a, it's a new doctine. Yeah. So, well, the, so here's the, the thing. Catholics, Patrick, the Catholics are right. You, you have to be baptized but, to be but, saved. Listen, Patrick, you know, why, you know why this doctrine that you're telling me is, is the doctrine of men? Because it's not coming well, from the Word of God. See, I'm reading. Okay. All I'm doing is having to read the Word of God, and it contradicts what you say. The, the, this is Jesus Christ commanding people. He's, he said to them, not to himself, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So this is Jesus commanding people, his disciples here, and it tells you exactly who's here in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples were, went to Galilee. He's not saying it to the crowds. He said this to the 11 disciples, and he gave them a command. So that he's commanding them to baptize. So when you say that baptism ended with Jesus, with his baptism, then Jesus would have to be in sin to command them to go and baptize. Okay, from what you just said, the command is for us to baptize. How many of you guys baptize disciples? I, on a regular basis. That is a. That's the command. Yeah, that's that's called a fallacious argument because it has absolutely nothing to do with the point. Oh, it has a it's lot a, to do. It, it's a red herring. It has. It, it doesn't. That doesn't explain the text of Scripture, Patrick. The, well, if you don't baptize, you're going against the Scripture. Okay, but that. <laughs> And there's, so, there's, some, there, there's some churches that won't allow you to baptize. That, that's fine, Patrick. That has nothing to do with the text and the argument you're making. You're, you're arguing. See, what you're doing is now, is it's called a red herring. And, and for folks well, to see what a red herring is, it's when you're changing topics to avoid something you said that the Scripture is proving you're wrong. And instead of submitting to Scripture, instead of submitting to God's Word, you're sticking to your belief system, a man-made system. You know, this may be, I, I don't know you personally, but maybe mm-hmm. this is, has to do with some of why you're not attending a church is because the, these sort of teachings you have are false, and, and they're easily well, shown in Scripture. I mean, I don't, I, you brought up two passages. All I had to do is read the Scripture. That was it. Well, uh, let me ask you a question, Andrew. Last week, you said John the Baptist baptized Gentiles, so they become Jewish. What did you mean by that? Well, what John the Baptist was doing was called a mitzvah. Do you know what that is? Well, it's uh, yeah, I know a little bit about that, yeah. Okay, what is it? It's a ceremonial washing, I guess. Yeah, when when a Gentile becomes a a Jew, they would have this washing. And that's that was the only the only time we see a washing like that. So, here you have John the Baptist doing this in public. 
And he's saying it's for repentance, which is what would be for the Gentile who becomes a Jew. It's for repentance. Well, then... All those people that, all those Gentiles that were baptized in John the Baptist days, according to you, in Acts 19, all had to be rebaptized. Well, if you Acts actually, the, the thing that, th- if you look at the text, the thing that threw the, the, the Pharisees off was that he wasn't doing this to Gentiles, he was doing it to Jews. For what? For ceremonial washing. Well, that but was the, the thing they couldn't understand. But the funny thing is today, if you ask a Christian where water baptism starts, they'll go to John the Baptist. And it had nothing to do with Christian ceremony, uh, Christians believer baptism. Yeah, I don't know anyone that goes there. Oh, John the Baptist is, most Christians think that John the Baptist started uh, uh, yeah, believer's baptism. And and we we already said, if you look at Acts 19, that there would be a difference there, because here you see that uh, Apollos comes to Paul and, and talks about John's baptism, that he only knew of yep. John's baptism in verse 4. That's right. And Paul said he was wrong. of John's baptism, and what does he do? He baptizes him. Why? Because there's a difference in that baptism. Paul didn't baptize Apollos. So it says here, uh, he asks in, uh, let's, well, let's just read in verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Yep. And he said, uh, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit, and he said, into what What were you baptized? And they said, with John's baptism. And Paul Paul said, John baptized with, with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe uh, the one who was to come, that is Jesus. And upon hearing this, they were baptized. In the Holy Spirit, I believe. But listen, well, you, you, just you, gotta, a, you, you just made a point there. You got to stop yeah, saying what I believe. Listen, Paul, you, when he met up with those no, Gentiles... No, Patrick, Patrick, those, Patrick, you can't keep... Disciples. You, you have to recognize this is the third time you've done this. We read the scripture, and you go, well, I believe. It doesn't matter so, what you believe. It matters what scripture says. And, and now this is the third time scripture has okay, said something I, different sorry. than what you believe. Well, let's go back over what you so, just read. So, Patrick, Paul says, "Hold on, what Patrick, baptism did you receive?" Patrick, he specified Holy Spirit baptism. Patrick, do you submit to Scripture? Do I what? Do you submit yourself to Scripture? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm a born again Christian. Okay, the Scripture. So, is, when know, Scripture disagrees with your belief system, do you give up your false belief system? Well. um... I believe that what I'm doing is is going to be a common doctrine in the future. But it's false. We've just shown this. Well, it doesn't agree with you, Scripture. No, according to Scripture. According to you. Listen, you interpreted and read something into Scripture. All I did was read the Scripture. That's all I did. Well, if we go back to where I started with John 1, 34, 1 to 34, uh, John the Baptist, the only reason he used water to baptize was to search for a dove. That's not was, what the text says. That's, that's not, not what, what the text, text says. says either. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, no, no. It, said, it, says, it says that uh, the one who sent him to baptize with water told right. him that uh, he would be able to identify the Messiah. But right. that, there's nowhere in the text that say that's the reason why he baptized. And that's yeah, it. it does. In the, in the NIV, it says... He's also fulfilling the Old Testament where he is the voice crying out in the wilderness. He's bringing people back to repentance so they can prepare themselves for the coming well, of Messiah. 
Well, that's another part of my, that's chapter two of my, my theory. I can, I could go. So you have a theory. It's not, it's not actually. Yeah, it's, a theory. it's not scripture. It's a theory, but all theories sometimes become truth. No, they never become truth when they disagree with God. Okay. And that's what no. you, yours does. So here, you here's gave, Patrick, Patrick, just, just listen, because I, I, I'm concerned for your soul here. Okay. Well, when, that's when I don't, you guys talk like that. That's not good. Well, it is, Matt, it's true Matt, because uh, what you're saying is not only you're saying things, we're showing you what Scripture says, and you're ignoring God's Word. And, you know, in in James uh, chapter 4 or 5, I have to look, it says when you do this, you're putting yourself as a judge over God when you, when you judge His Word. No, I'm preaching the gospel. You are not because Scripture disagrees with you. You're not submitting to Scripture. The scripture doesn't align with what you're saying it says. And when we point this out, you want to jump somewhere else and ignore that you just ripped something out of its context. I mean, well, what about uh, Mark 16, 16? Do you believe that is water baptism or Holy Spirit baptism? Well, I don't believe Mark 16, 16 is, was in the canon. Well, now that's, that's heresy, what you just said. Really? You're telling me that Mark 16, 16 is not in the canon? Well, it wasn't in any of the early manuscripts. But you're telling me you're, you just ripped pages out of the Bible. No, 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 no. No, you added words. You added things to the Bible. Can you, can you well, show me in any of the early manuscripts of Mark, can you show me where the last couple of passages of Mark, anything after chapter, uh, verse 9, appears? Have you I done any all the Bible study that it? I look at? You've looked at the Greek, or the early manuscripts of the Greek. Well, now you're you're telling us that all the Bibles out there today are not really good. Well, actually, if you look at the Bibles that you have today, they'll have a footnote that says that the earliest manuscripts don't include verses nine to twenty. And if you actually looked at the manuscript, you'd you'd see that there were actually four different endings for that passage. Yeah, but that's the heresy, I think, in that, uh, those... <laughs> yes, the, it is the heresy that you're teaching, I agree. It is heresy, because well, when, you, when you're presented with God's Word, and you ignore it, and you did it three times tonight, well, I didn't even have to, I didn't provide any interpretation. I just read it, and your, inter- your interpretation disagrees with what Scripture says, and you're not repenting of that. Instead, well, you're doubling down. let me ask down. you a question. Mark sixteen sixteen is a false statement according to you. I didn't say that. Well, you said it's not supposed to be understood in the Bible because it's. Not I said in the it's not Bible. in the early manuscripts. That's that's God didn't inspire. So you that won't part. agree with that scripture. I'm not going to base a, a doctrine of based off of something that wasn't that was added to scripture. No, that's big in the question. How's that begging the question? Do you, okay, wait. Well, can you I, answer they, the question? Can you explain is what begging Mark the question 16? is? Okay. Is Mark sixteen sixteen? No, a hold on. I, you, you said I was begging the question. I want to know if you actually understand the term that you used, or if you because just you throw won't this answer out. the question. Okay, because you come up with some begging the question fallacy is is when you start with a conclusion, and you are your your argument assumes the conclusion that you you're taking. Now I'm not doing that, so I'm not begging the question. So you, well, you're you, not believing in the scriptures. Sure, I am. I'm the one that not, read not the Mark scriptures. 15, 16. I because it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts <laughs> that was added to scripture. Okay? Now Well, that's begging the that's, question what it, you just That's it, not that's begging the question. With with textual variants and things like that. He clearly isn't. And and it's not it's not <laughs> it's not begging the question because I'm not 
drawing a conclusion that I'm using that to try to prove. I'm use, here's, here's the argument I'm making. It's not in the earliest manuscripts. And in the later manuscripts where we do see the ending of Mark, we see four different endings. We only see this in the Byzantine manuscripts, okay? The later ones. So, so when, you, when you make the argument, at least understand what's being said and understand when you say someone's begging the question, understand what you're even saying because you don't even know what that means. Okay. Now, now so what, you, you do understand Mark 16 is parallel with Matthew 28. It, it is seen to be that way, but the, the fact so is, is Luke. the fact is that Luke 24 okay, is the same. And So let's talk about a red herring. You're jumping around trying to change topics again. Patrick, you, you made some statements. We looked at scripture. The scripture, just reading the scripture proves that what you said is not true. Why don't you submit to Scripture? Well, uh, Luther and Calvin did the same thing back 500 years ago. That's a red herring. It has nothing to do with what I asked you. (laughs) So if your argument argument has to rely on logical fallacies, then your, your argument is invalid and false. Okay, so... We'll try this again. It has nothing to do with what Calvin or Luther or anyone else says. You made a statement, Galatians 2, the scripture contradicts what you said. No, I don't, uh, like, a, there's a bigger picture. You, you got to put them all together. And No, no, you don't. You don't rip it out of the context and give it a new meaning. That's heresy. Can I, Eli. Can I ask a question? Yeah. To Patrick? Yes. I would I would be interested in, in what you think of, of Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 47, which is post-resurrection and ascension. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. So it seems like, who can withhold water for baptizing? Well, the answer to that is no one. Look, the Holy Spirit has oh. fallen upon them. Let's engage in water baptism. It seems to it seems to suggest that's no. what's happening in the text. That's where Peter made his mistake, going against the vision, calling them unclean. Okay. He was calling them unclean by ceremonial washing. That's not what the scripture says. Not and, what the Taya. I'm not sure. This is the thing, Patrick. Get, Patrick, just let, the hear vision me out. was warning him. Here, okay, Patrick. When scripture disagrees with you, and you continue to double down on this, and you say this is a teaching that you hope would be taught further. Okay. This is how heresy begins. You're taking, you're teaching something that is not from Scripture. Okay. Well, um, it doesn't matter that you call it a mystery. I mean, hear me out. It doesn't matter that you call it a mystery. I know that this is something that that you have studied and you've come to a conclusion, but you need to question whether your conclusion could be wrong. The reason the reason is is because both Eli and I have taking you through several passages of scripture and shown you that the scripture does not say what you say what you say it says and instead of you saying oh well that's what scripture says i'm going to submit to god's word you're twisting god's word and and adding something into scripture that it doesn't say and then saying this is a new teaching that the, the church should hold on to no it shouldn't the church should never teach the doctrines of men and if well, you can't support your argument from Scripture in context, but you have to rip it out of its context and slam it together with other 
verses, that's that's not God's word. And that's why well, I'm concerned uh, for you. Was was it a true statement when Jesus called Peter Satan? Okay, that's a red herring. It has nothing to do with the topic. No, it does because Peter had a history of betraying uh, or uh, denying Jesus. And and you have a history of twisting Scripture just like Satan does. So should should we call you Satan? I mean, you're doing the same thing that Satan is doing. Yeah, the text itself, though, tells us clearly when Peter, Jesus calls Peter Satan, clearly it's obvious that what Peter is saying is wrong. The text you're quoting, uh, or when I quoted uh, that that verse in Acts, it it, it doesn't say anything about any mistaken notion when it says, can we prevent water for baptism? There's no mention there that he's acting inappropriately. What you're doing is going to another text, drawing out a conclusion, and then reading that back into the text that I just quoted. Yeah, but the in uh, Galatians 2, where Paul opposes Peter, the reference in my Bible brings you back to Acts 10. Well, it doesn't matter what a reference that some man puts in there. Right. When, but... when you have a conclusion that disagrees with what Scripture said. References are inspired. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Thank it, you. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really... Patrick, I, I don't know how... We're trying. We're really trying to help you, but I think that you're, it's almost where your knowledge has puffed you up, and you're not you're not listening uh, well, to Andrew, what wise Andrew. men are trying to say. Uh, hold, hold on, James. Let me add you in because you're yeah. Let James let James come let, in. Let me add. Yeah, I just have to add you into because otherwise, uh, f- folks were hearing weren't hearing you, James. So that's why I had to <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, Andrew, last week in our discussion, you told me that Matthew 28, 19 through 20 is not speaking of water baptism. And that's what Patrick had asked you just now, if Matthew 28, 19 through 20, if he was commanding his apostles and disciples to actually go out and water baptize different, you know, people of different nations. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't, you and I didn't address Matthew 28, though, last week. We certainly did. I brought it up. Anybody could go back and listen to it, and you'll see that I brought it up. Yeah, we were, we were taught, but... You brought it up. You brought up a lot of different things, and we stayed to one passage like I'm trying to do with Patrick here. Okay, your passage was Acts 2, 37 to 38. Until we got done with that, we weren't going to move on. Just like with James, I'm not going to move on until we get <laughs> Galatians 2. He brought yeah, up the I Galatians 2. And you told me that's not water baptism. That's Holy Spirit baptism. In, in Acts, in Acts 2. In Anybody Acts two, can go back and hear you. yeah, in Acts two, it, and it, it's very clear. But yeah, you, you Acts two, Matthew twenty eight nineteen through twenty. But that wasn't that what we discussed. What about See, see this, this is that this is you were trying to be the steamroller and just throwing up a bunch of verses. I wasn't addressing that. I was addressing Acts chapter two. But you, but you did address Matthew twenty eight nineteen through twenty because I specifically cited Matthew twenty eight nineteen through twenty. And, and I specifically and I specifically answered Acts chapter two. I specifically mentioned that you were you were doing the red herring just like Patrick is doing, and you were trying to switch the topics. See, the the fact is, you said Acts two was the water baptism, and it doesn't teach I that. You, I asked you specifically about Matthew twenty eight nineteen through twenty, and you told me specifically that it's not referring to water baptism. Okay, well, you'll have to get the exact uh, minute mark on on the video and let me know where that is. 
So now you you disagree. You you do believe that it is referring to water baptism. Uh, I'm disagreeing with your account of reality. Yes. Well, I'm asking you. Do you agree that it's referring to water baptism? Yes or no? That wasn't the part. The, the our discussion. It's a yes or no. I'm asking you right now. Does Matthew 28, 19 through 20 refer to water baptism? Was he Matthew 28? Yes. It's water, water baptism. baptism. Okay. So, and, and Matt Slick agrees with that because in our big in deal. Our debate, so Matt Slick agree, yeah. agrees. Right. So in our debate with, uh, with my debate with Matt Slick, he agreed that Matthew 28, 19 through 20 refers to water baptism. And he also agreed that Acts 2.38 is speaking when it says baptism is speaking water baptism. Yeah, and the text doesn't agree with you. I, all I did was read the text. I can read it to you again. And, and you said that I'm committing a logical fallacy, which means Matt Slick is committing a logical fallacy by agreeing with me. That no. This is the same thing you do with Matt. What you do with Matt is you, you, you make a claim, and then you tell him he believes something. And anyone could go back and see Matt several times in your debate corrected you and said he does not believe what you claimed he would believe. Well, anyone can go back and listen to our water baptism debate, and they'll see that Matt actually agreed with me. No, he corrected you. You think he agreed with you because you said it, but he kept correcting you. So, James, tell me this. I'm, I'm curious. Why would Matt have to correct you when you say he believes something? Why would he have to correct you and say he doesn't if he actually believed it? Well, he never corrected me on Acts 2.38. He agreed with me that that baptism in Acts 2.38 is water baptism. He didn't correct me and say, no, it's not water baptism, which is what you are claiming. You're claiming it's not water baptism. Okay. So, so it, for folks who see, this is, this is the equivocation now. He wants to go to the one thing of the water baptism on, in, in Acts and then say that Matt's agreeing on that. Therefore, he's agreeing on something else. That, that those are two all different Matt, things. All Matt so, disagreed with me on was that, that it was a formula for salvation. He never rejected the fact that the baptism in Acts two thirty eight is referring to water baptism. You're the one that rejects the fact that is speaking of water baptism. And no, I re- I reject I reject your your claim that that water baptism is necessary for salvation that from that passage. Well, I can explain how we know so, that is speaking of water baptism. Okay, so here's the thing. We have, we have, let's read the text. I, I know you have your interpretation, but just like with Patrick, all I need to do is read the text. I can explain why it's speaking of water baptism if you allow me to speak. Yeah, but I'm not going to allow you to speak when I'm speaking and I'm reading the passage. Okay? If you, are you that afraid of Scripture? You're afraid of Scripture? You, you can't allow Scripture to be read? We went over the Scripture last week. It says, repent and... Okay, so you're afraid of Scripture. And you shall receive the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. So, we, th- folks, this is, this is what you have with Roman Catholics, because it's their church that they worship. They can handle Scripture. Their interpretation, their private interpretation, is more important than Scripture. So he doesn't want the Scripture to be read. Why? Because the Scripture disagrees with what his conclusion is. I just read it. You just, just read, read it for your listening audience. So, it says... Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter and and said to Peter, the rest and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise of 
is for you and to your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Now, your argument that you made is that water baptism was necessary for salvation and the cutting of the heart was their salvation. But the baptism occurred when? Afterwards. Now, we mentioned this. You're putting words in my mouth and you did that last week. I didn't, I didn't do that last week. You did that. You I'm said that. Right you, you, saying, you, said, you said, okay. and I didn't say what you just said. So this is how we do this. We just turn his volume down while we finish a sentence. Okay, for folks who, who need to see, James is, comes in here often. This is what he does. He comes in and tries to talk over the host. Okay, uh, you're welcome to get your own show and you want to you have me come in. I'll come in. But the reality is, is that when I'm making a point and you can't let me finish a point, just like you did with Matt, it's only because your argument is failed and you know it. So... You came in last week and you said this verse proves that there was three things necessary for salvation. Baptism, repentance, and belief. That's what you said. You said you were reading the scripture. I read the scripture and it didn't say that. That is, we can, we can go back and look at that. Now, if you want to show me where I supposedly was saying, okay, that this is not that. I'm going to say that I read the scripture to you, which is what I want to do again, and you wanted to talk over it. So let's go. Let's try this again. I'm going to bring your volume up, and we're going to see if you can have a civil discourse. If you're going to try to talk over and try to not allow civil discourse, and if you're going to try to do a you know a rapid fire steamroller type maneuver, that's fine. The 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 reality is your steamroller doesn't isn't going to work here because I can mute you, and then we'll finish a sentence, and that's what we're going to do every time you do that now, and I'm telling you that up front. So if you continue the behavior, you're being muted, and I'll finish a sentence. So when I start speaking, like I let you finish a sentence, you'll let me finish a sentence. But if you're going to ramble on on something that's not what we're discussing, or you're going to go off on a different tangent, or want to jump to another verse instead of the one we're dealing with, you get muted. Okay? Fair enough? Well, I'd like to ask Elias a question. Fair enough. I've to you, Elias, I'm not sure. Okay, we're going to try this again. I'm going to ask a question, and you're going to answer the question. All right? So, these are the rules we're going to go by. You're going to follow the rules or you're going to be muted. Now, the question is, is it fair enough for you to follow the rules? I'm going to bring you back up. Is that fair enough for you? Can you obey rules? Well, it's your platform. I mean, you have control, and I'm sure you're going to go ahead and silence me and censor me because I bring the truth and you don't have the truth. So you're going to do what you're going to do. Okay, so you're not going to follow rules. That's what you're saying? No, I'll, I'll, I said it's your platform. You, but you're not answering today. whether you're going to follow the rules. It's a simple yes or no. This is the same thing we always go through with you. It's a simple yes or no. Will you follow the rules? It's not answering the question. Well, yeah. I don't even know what the rules are. What's the okay. rules? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're not even paying attention to okay. what he said. Okay. He <laughs> said it like, what, three times? Okay, I'll follow the rules. Fine. To continue the conversation, I'll follow the rules. Go ahead. You're going to silence me anyway, anyway, because you're a bad rule and you're a liar. But go ahead. <laughs> well, now I might just boot you for, for being rude again. So, 
All I'm asking is that you be respectful to people and you're not doing that. Okay. You know, I mean, seriously. My speaking of scripture is disrespectful, bringing up scripture. That's disrespectful. No, you're insulting of me. You're speaking over people. You're you're you telling people what they believe. Let's not insult. Okay. You, you don't insult me. I don't insult you. Let's just focus on scripture. Let's focus on Acts 237 and 38. Okay, so I just told you not to be speaking over me, and what did you do? You did it immediately. So are you going to follow the rules, yes or no? Yeah. Yes. You're not going to speak over people? No. You're going to answer direct questions directly? Are you going to speak over me when I'm speaking? Are you going to answer direct questions directly? I will. Are you going to speak over me when I'm speaking? I will cut you off if you start answering a question that's not direct. Okay, well, we tried, folks. We're just going to have to say goodbye to him. Andrew. Um, I mean, Can I ask a question, Andrew? Yeah, sure. Hold on on one second, Patrick, because I need to explain why I did that for folks who... Because he's going to go off and claim he won a victory because I couldn't answer his question. No. I asked him, and folks, you heard this several times. I know Patrick even was kind of chuckling and laughing there, but several times I just asked him not to interrupt, not to speak over, okay? This is a pattern he does. It's a tactic. For folks who don't debate, okay, this is a tactic that people do when they have a failed argument. What they do is they speak over someone. They try to, they they don't answer direct questions. A, A yes or no question just takes a yes or no. When you start going off and you avoid answering over and over and over again, like he does, that's what you end up seeing. And I just wanted him to commit to saying he would follow the rules. He wouldn't commit to that. He finally said he would, and then immediately breaks the rules. So, uh, Patrick, go ahead. And then I want to make sure we give time for Luke. In Acts two thirty-seven thirty-eight, is that a true statement? Is Acts 2, 37 and 38 a true statement? Um, I'm not sure I fully understand what you mean by a true statement. I mean, is, well, it's, does, it, does baptism have something to do with salvation? This doesn't say that you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, isn't that what the uh, disciples asked Peter? What must we do to be saved? And he says, repent. Right, but but that, that but they don't say what do I, we must do to be saved, does it? It says repent and be baptized. Yeah, but 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 here's the thing: they were already saved when they when they heard and were cut to the heart, right? And it doesn't say what do we what must we do to be saved, does it? You added a word there to scripture. What does it say? Well, uh, what's the baptism got to do with it after they received the Holy Spirit? Well, I would say that what the baptism has to do, as we see in Romans chapter 6, is a symbol, of an, an outward symbol of an inward change. Now, I'm going to take this from a different perspective of people who would hold to covenant theology. They would see that as a covenant sign, so they're going to have a different view of it, because they're going to view it as a covenant, they're going to see the baptism as a sign of the covenant. But again, that's still going to be a, a symbolic act not a saving act, but a symbolic act of something that had affected them. But um, in uh, Romans 8, I think that's all about um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why, why are we going to Romans 8 now? Why, why are we changing the verse again? Well, because it talks about um, 
Yeah, but but, you know the, but the verse that you brought that you brought up doesn't say what you said it says. So are you willing well, to avoid and and repent of saying that baptism is necessary for salvation because you said it says what shall we do to be saved and it doesn't say that it says what shall we do? But what I said is the baptism of the Holy Spirit saves. You can't deny that. I'd never denied that. What, but the okay. point is, is you said you you said here that it says, "What must we do to be saved?" And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized." Okay. Right? What does it say? What, it says, in, in "What shall we do?" Well, it's the same. They're asking him a question, and he yes. says, "Repent and be baptized." Yes. But I think he. I think it's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's nice. You could you could think that all you want. The question well, you is, know, what does Scripture you say? You know, Matt, uh, Matt Slick. You know, he he comes up with a theory that there wasn't enough time or people to baptize two thousand people in one day. Yes, Matt and I've discussed that. He's wrong. I mean, we've debated that. It's it's not his his numbers are off because he only goes with twelve people, not one hundred and twenty people. He he, you know, we we have a disagreement on that. Big deal. The, the fact is, you just went to a red herring instead of looking at what the text says. I mean, I, I don't understand. We've gone this, this is like the fifth passage of Scripture with you. Yeah, well, you're not giving me a chance to explain myself, but that's all right. But I don't, look, when you take a passage of Scripture, okay, and it Isn't doesn't... Isn't that what a Bible study is, is when you go and study the Bible with Scriptures? That's right, and, that's right, and you study it in context. context. In my opinion, the Bible isn't a book, it's a map. And you, you have to put it okay. together. Well, in that case, we have to put oh, John's boy. picture up there, and there you go. That's that's your way. <laughs> it's a map. Huh? That, that's the yeah. picture of what you have. Bible study is a study of the Bible, okay? Well, and when, listen, Patrick, when we have the Scripture, okay, when we have Scripture, and you have a passage of Scripture, and you say it says one thing, but the simple reading of the scripture disagrees with you and says something you say it the opposite of what you're saying. And then you say, no, 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 but we have to take that and then jump over here and take this out of its context and then jump over here and take this out of its context. That's not how you follow scripture. That's not study. That is twisting of scripture. That should cause you to have serious concern. Because there's the, the fact is, is that this is, the, this is the behavior we see from Satan twisting scripture. You don't want to behave like him, do you? Well, Scripture says there's one baptism. You're ignoring the question. Do you want to behave like Satan? That's not the question. It's the, the question, question I asked. Is, yes, that is, is the question. What, I asked do you, you know that the question. Truth? I mean, uh, I so, mean, you, know, you may be wrong. You might. Yes, you may I have always wrong. admitted that I could be wrong. Right. Okay. I, I'm not like you. I'm not saying that I'm right, and I'm disagreeing with Scripture and saying that I'm right anyway. But you're not letting people uh, continue with their conversation. But we're stop every time you come to a passage of scripture that you take out of context, right. and we show that that's not what scripture says. You're trying to build an argument, okay? And I understand that. But when you a logical argument, when you have a premise and then you support the premise, okay, to draw a conclusion. If your argument is invalid, if you're taking, in this case, you're taking something out of context and you're giving it a new meaning, 
then you cannot continue on with the argument. If you want to put every verse that you argued so far, if you want to put every one of them that you took out of context aside and and try to make your argument, that would be one thing. But so far in your argument, you've look, we've looked at several passages of Scripture, and each one of them doesn't say what you say it says. I mean, it's it's each one of them. Well, the the truth is, if there was only one baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Life for a Christian would be a lot easier not having to argue about infant baptism, pouring, dr- sprinkling. <laughs> so what? You know what I mean? Uh, the only thing you I'm asking, I'm, I'll ask the same question. If you part. understood the difference between what a non-essential uh, doctrine is and an essential doctrine, you would not have these type of arguments. But the the best... This, Patrick, the, Patrick. The gospel Patrick, in a night... Patrick, the, none the of that matters. Listen, nutshell. none of that matters. The The thing that matters is... When we have shown you, Eli has shown you, I've shown you, that you're taking passages out of context and giving them wrong meanings. No. How do you say no? We're well, reading scripture um, to you. I think, uh, and what you're doing God is saying it's, a, it, you're saying it's a mystery. You're saying we've got to jump over here and here and here and here and here. And each time you jump somewhere, you're, it's, the text doesn't say what you say it says. You read into the text something it doesn't say. I mean, I'm I'm seriously concerned for you. Oh, I'm not. I know I'm saved. I'm born again, and uh, I think God had sent me to preach the truth. Just like you know, Paul was chosen okay. to go to the Gentiles because of Peter's mistake at Acts ten. Okay, let me ask you. That's conjecture on your part. Let me ask you a question. You say that God called you to preach the truth. Is that correct? Sure, that's what a, then, a Christian does. Okay, then how come you're twisting the scripture? and not taking the meaning from the Scripture, but adding to Scripture. Why are you doing that? If you're going to teach the truth, the truth is going to be one with, that's, that is in line with God's Word. Well, like I said, Paul was chosen to go to the Gentiles. Why did God pick Paul after Peter already was at the Gentiles in Acts 10? There's no Scripture that gives a reason. Paul was... Paul was chosen to correct Peter's mistake in what, Acts 10. What verse is that? Well, it, God what, said... What verse... Uh, no, hold on, hold on. I want, I'm going to be really clear in my question to you so that there's no ambiguity here. What verse teaches that Paul went to the Gentiles because he was correcting Peter? Well, not... But the fact is, he did go to the Gentiles. No, you just said you're teaching the truth, and that this is what the Scripture says. I'm asking you what verse teaches exactly what you said. Don't say no, and then go to something different. You said this is the truth. You said you have the truth. Galatians 2, where Paul opposes Peter. About the food eating with Gentiles. Now, that don't make sense. They wouldn't put that in there because Peter was eating with Gentiles. That That's what sense. the text says. Don't say it doesn't well, make sense because you don't understand it. It's, it's what the text well, says. You have to look at the vision. Oh, the my vision God. Peter had okay. is very important. All right. Well, All right, we I'm tried. Gonna go. We tried. I mean, you're, 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 you're giving a passage of Scripture a new meaning that it doesn't have, and then you want to justify it by jumping somewhere else. Uh, Patrick, please. Well, cons- if, you, uh, you know, if you have time, look at it as if after John the Baptist baptized Jesus, water baptism ended. That would make more sense for a lot of Scripture. 
Oh yeah, it would make Jesus so it make Jesus that a narrative sinner. into that whole yeah. <laughs> the rest of the New Testament so, in order for us to make sense about your doctrine. Yeah, I mean the, well, the fact it's is it's it, what makes more sense is that you as a man have a doctrine that's wrong that you're reading into scripture. That might makes way more sense. I'll tell you why. Because the scripture, God's word, God who cannot lie, doesn't say in his word what you say it says. Okay, when he gives a clear purpose statement of why Paul confronts Peter, you deny it and want to jump somewhere else to a passage that that doesn't have to do with the event that's going on there. And you give it a meaning. Okay? Well, go to... Uh, so, no, 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 no. Listen, leave, listen. Read uh, John 3.25. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll humor you. John 3.25 says... Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Right. What What do you think the contents of that was? Uh, John the Baptist's disciples were having a discussion with a Jew over a mitzvah. Well, I know why. In some Bibles it says argument. So what? Well, what would they be arguing about if that's what you just said John the Baptist was sent to do? Um, because the Jew is disagreeing or, or not con- understanding why, and I said this already earlier, that they were puzzled on why the fact John would be doing a baptism to Jews or a mitzvah to Jews right. like this because you wouldn't do that to a Jew. They're confused. They're having right. a discussion over it. What if that Jew might have been... Jesus? I don't want to hear any more of your what-ifs when Scripture doesn't say what you say it says. That's... Okay. I mean... <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I'm, I don't I don't know how to say this and not sound... Man, I don't care what you think Scripture says. I care what Scripture says. And Scripture well, doesn't say what you say it says. Except for Mark 16, 16. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. All um, right. I'm going to add... Luke. I, I appreciate you. Uh, all right. I, I've got to leave. I'm... Okay. Well, it was. Uh, hey, I appreciate your time, guys. All right, Patrick. I, I would. I you know. Let me encourage you. Go to strivingfraternity.org's, uh Go to just go to strivingfraternity.org, Go to the our academy. We have uh, twenty lessons on how to interpret the Bible. It's free of charge. You can watch it on YouTube and learn how to interpret the Bible. You need those lessons. They're okay. free. And I'll tell you what, Patrick. For you, I'm going to tell you, son. If you're willing to do that, you can contact us. There's a contact form on that website on strivingfraternity.org. Contact us. Say, I'm Patrick. I had the Uh the, the baptism debate with Andrew. I would like a free syllabus. Give me your address. And if you're willing to take our class for free, I will ship you the $25 syllabus free of charge. Okay. Oh, wow. I appreciate that. But You have to commit that that you're going to take the whole class. Okay. Okay. All right. Hey, yeah, bye-bye. All right. See you, Patrick. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow, Eli. Um, I've added Luke in here. He's He was kind of waiting, and he came in and out and in and out. And uh, So sorry the about that, I Luke. Thinking is now is, that's heresy, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luke, how are you? Welcome. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, we can. I see a little bobbing head there, though. A little oh. muffled, but yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, oh, look at see. No, no one cares about you when you you put a, a cute little kid in camera. I mean, I'm sorry, Luke. 
we don't care about you. Look at that. He's, it's Elmo. <laughs> Elmo yeah, in a kilt. A oh, it's a it's a dress. Okay. So did you, you did you have a question here for us? I got a gold. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Let me, let me mute him. All right. Sorry. Sorry. We didn't couldn't hear you over Patrick there. So Luke, did you have a question for us tonight? I do have a question for you guys. Um, I uh, so the last couple of weeks and even this week kind of made me want to ask about the principle of the analogy of faith and when does the analogy of faith go from being a helpful principle to going into proof texting which is not how we're supposed to interpret the bible okay so i understand your meaning can you define what you mean by analogy of faith okay so the analogy of faith essentially says that because scripture does not contradict itself uh, we can use clear passages to interpret less clear passages. Mm-hmm. So for tough verses, sometimes it's easier to go to other passages that we can understand, okay, this is not what it's saying because it can't contradict a particular passage. And, and generally this is used like with the James 2 uh, discussion uh, when James says, you know, works by faith and all that kind of stuff. Um, we know that he's, we, we can say, well, he's not meaning uh, you know, works save you because we know Paul in a different place says that we are saved from faith apart from works. And so there can't be the contradiction. Therefore, there has to be a particular meaning to that. So my question is, and the reason why I ask this is because I think thinking about how to defend the faith, how to build biblical doctrines, how to help us try to articulate what, what we believe um, Essentially, I feel like we should really kind of understand the difference between when does this principle, which I think is a good one, um, go from being helpful to becoming proof texting. Because like you, you go back with vocab a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, the Hebrew Israelites, or whatever they call themselves, they believe proof texting is the way you interpret scripture. Yes. That isn't right. However, though, I would think that if we have particular biblical doctrines, like let's say our doctrine of baptism. Um, you know, we don't get that from a single solitary verse. There's multiple verses that talk about baptism, talk about, you know, how it, you know, like what it is, what it means, how it, how it relates to the Christians. And so my question is just, you know, what would be a good, helpful principle to try to differentiate between when we're actually building good biblical doctrine, using the analogy of faith, depending on what verse we're using, or when we spiral off in, into proof texting, which I think ends up happening a lot of times because we're not, you know, it sounds like when people try to just <clears throat> jump around to different places. Yeah. That's the idea. Well, okay, so proof texting is typically where you take, you take one verse. You, typically what you see is people like we saw tonight, someone will take it out of its context, take another verse out of its context, give it a new meaning, and put it together. Okay? Now, for the example, you used the James uh, James two fifteen and following passage. See, I don't argue, uh, well, Paul makes it clear in other passages, so we know this can't mean that. We can make that argument there. But I could argue that right from James, which is what I do. I start in verse 14, 
where he explains he's giving a answer to a hypothetical question. That there's a guy that claims he already has faith. Well, once you get there, that, that whole argument that people make that works are necessary to gain faith can't be possible. Why? Because in verse 14, he's talking about someone that already says he has the faith. So if he has the faith, then the works are after faith, not before. And that's what he's answering there. So I don't, I don't need to do that. But what you do see is that we do go to the clear passages to interpret the more difficult passages. There, so where I would give a better example would be maybe um, uh, Hebrews 6. Some people think Hebrews chapter 6 teaches that people can lose their salvation. We can look at Romans chapter 8. makes it very clear that there's no way you can lose your salvation, and it's speaking of regeneration. Well, Hebrews 6 doesn't say that it's specifically speaking of regeneration. It says that people who've tasted the light. Well, what does that mean? You see, now you have to figure out what the meaning of that is. What fits better in that context as we examine it, we don't have time tonight, but what we, have, what we look at is the fact that as we look at it, you see that there could be people who they receive some truth by sitting in church, but not being believers. You know, that doesn't disagree yeah. with any, any passage of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, as, as a general principle, the, the thing we first want to do is interpret within the immediate context. I mean, that's what, what Patrick was having trouble doing. Um, and it, is you, you want to stay to the immediate context and interpret there before you jump anywhere else. Now, if from the immediate context, it's, it's hard to understand or there's something in the context that's not making sense, then maybe going out to the broader context of the book or the broader context of that author or then the broader context of maybe the New Testament or the entire Bible may come into place. But notice the, the onion peel that I give you there. You start with immediate context, then you're going to go to the context around it, that immediate context, then you're going to go to that book, then you're going to go to the author, then then the New Testament, then the whole Bible. You, you see as you know, or in the, if you're in the Old Testament, it's going to be reversed, but you, you see there's different layers that we do, because there are going to be some words that certain authors like to use, and they like to use it a certain way that may be different than other authors' use of a word. Yeah, and that's just kind of something that I was thinking about because I think it's helpful to understand, especially for us as we engage with other people, to kind of have, as you put in the onion or the concentric circles around, okay, we start in media context, context of the book, chapter, and move out from there. <clears throat> Whereas you, what you don't want to do is have a verse and then just cherry pick something else from somewhere else. That's kind of, that's kind of what I am kind of wanting to talk about is, you know, talking about those differences, like, you know, when can, because sometimes there are texts that are very clear in their own right, but then there are other texts that aren't very clear. Yeah, and and so if you have a passage, if you have a choice between two passages, you always use the clear to interpret the less clear. Because the clear can be understood, right? I mean, it, Absolutely. for example, with tonight with Patrick, 
the clear in in Galatians 2 is that Peter was withdrawing from eating with the Gentiles when the party of the circumcision came. That's the clear. What's not clear is that the real division was over baptism. That's not clear. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was inserted there. Yeah, just a little, just a little. So, um, all right, I want to give a couple of minutes for Eli here, um, if I can, Eli. You you had a you had a, okay. So I'm going to get myself in trouble, John. You can't laugh too hard. Um, I, I'm I'm going to call this our flower power moment. <laughs> Uh, in, in honor of Leighton Flowers, and, and for folks who don't know, Leighton is someone, you know, I, I consider him a friend, but we do disagree theologically a lot, and <laughs> but he, he's, he is a nice guy, but I'm, I'm giving a little bit of a jab because, you know, he does, his view of our salvation is man has free will, and so I guess man would have the power, and since his last name is Flowers, we're going to call this the flower power. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to do an hour-long show on me for that. Okay, so Eli, you you this week had a you were on his program and you got to discuss with him and and I, I we I thought we'd actually have a lot more time to discuss this. You can go longer if you want. Yeah, well, we could always bring it on on the after show if we need, but we could go a little bit. So, uh, give us your take of um of, of the show, how you felt it went, and I know you you didn't go on his show to debate him as much as you went on there uh, to better understand his position. So for folks that might want to, that watch that, uh, they should be aware of that. But how did you feel that the discussion went? Well, well, first, the reason why I went on was he had done a uh, video response to my interaction with an atheist, um, Doug from Pine Creek. I don't know if you're familiar with Pine Creek at all. Um, and he entitled his, I entitled the podcast, um, the practical failure of Calvinistic evangelism. And I kind of, uh, thought that was a, a misrepresentation because the context of that conversation I had with, with the fellow atheist, um, wasn't primarily an evangelistic context. He actually invited me onto his show to, um, explain why I believe what, uh, what I believe and he invited me on the show as a response to a video that I had made that went kind of semi-viral, critiquing a guy who, who said that every person in the Bible was mythological. So it's not like the things that I said to the atheist are not things that I jump into evangelism with. I don't start talking about deep theology and God's degrees and things like that with the average person. So I just want I, – I thought that it would have been nicer if Dr. Flowers, because we are friends on Facebook, that he would have just – heads up hey i, I want to make sure i got my facts right i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little you know response to this and that would have given me an opportunity to respond i actually learned from a private message from from uh, another friend on facebook just telling me that dr flowers did that and i kind of thought that wasn't um uh, i don't think that he went about it the best way and so i reached out to dr flowers and um he invited me onto his show to kind of explain my position and um being familiar with dr flowers what he does and focuses his energies on. Um, I didn't want to get into a debate. Um, I really wanted to, to be honest, even after hearing a lot of what he says, I'm not really sure the ins and outs of his own perspective. So I honestly and genuinely wanted to know what he believed. And so um, he invited me on. We had a very uh, respectful conversation. He didn't, you know, 
treat me uh, with disrespect. And we had a, a good conversation, I think. And of course, there were points where we disagreed and we kind of did kind of, I would say, an informal kind of debate-ish kind of thing. Well, there was a little cross-examination, not like a formal debate, but there was cross-examination there. There was some kind of, yeah, going yeah. back and forth. And I, I tried to press him on certain things, which I thought his position um, was a, a little weak. And I thought that he was trying to impose on the Calvinist perspective something that I thought even his perspective doesn't escape, namely that there are reprobates in both our systems. Um, and so uh, we went a little back and forth on that. What I did learn, um, and, and I don't think he did it maliciously, but I do understand when listening to him talk, I understand some of the strategies he uses. Uh, he tends to be very long-winded. Um, and instead of, you know, when I bring up a particular point, he will say, well, that's, now you're getting into philosophy now. Um, but then I notice that when you get to the text, then he gets into analogies and some philosophical reflection, and that's okay. So it seems that he's a little inconsistent in his method there. Um, and he claims mystery in regards to how God can know the future, yet we still be free. But I didn't think that that was mysterious. I think that if God knows the future and he actively decrees, then that, in a sense, sets in stone what, what's going to happen. And so he said that that was mysterious, and, and I, I didn't think that that was mysterious at all. I, I grant mystery in, in all theological systems, but I think he puts mystery where the Bible seems to give enough information that we can logically deduce what, say, the doctrine of God's omniscience entails. Um, so I, I understood he was kind of trying to move away from that, and then he talked for two to three minutes and then brought up a text without me first addressing the, the, the whole issue of why I thought his position it, it suffers the same thing that he's claiming that my position suffers from. And um, another thing that he does is he defines terms as he understands what Calvinism believes, and then he imposes them on you. There, there's actually a, a time in, the, in, the, um, in our discussion where he defines decree, and then he just goes off with it, and then says, therefore, this is what is entailed by your position. And I, and I, I, <laughs> I respectfully started laughing, and I was like, I was hoping after you defined decree that you would then ask me what I think a decree is, so that I had the opportunity to explain what I, uh, and he, of course, he allowed me to do that. You know, it was a really good uh, short exchange there. So overall, I think it went well, and um, it, it definitely, our conversation with Eric that one time was definitely helpful in, in allowing me to... Uh, understand you know the difference between will and can and things like that um so uh, i thought it went well yeah you know he's he's you're never going to get him i don't think um acting rudely or (laughs) but but yeah i mean you you brought up i mean some of the things that when he you know if you i joke with i joke with him all the time about the fact that if i give a, a a three minute if I mention him and give a three-minute critique, I'm going to get an hour-long video response. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and and a lot of times I I, th- I don't know like you like you're saying it's I don't know that it's always directly addressing the the issues. And I, you know, I think it's it's sort of some of the tactics we we saw here tonight. And so, in this sense, it might be helpful for folks. You know, you're seeing folks who it's like okay all we have to do is read the scripture when when reading the scripture isn't enough like we have to 
leave scripture or leave this scripture to jump somewhere else. Or I, I think one of the things um, that I, I personally, I guess, find frustrating with, with Leighton when we talk theology is um, argument by analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, now, I agree. I agree with him that analogies are helpful. I just don't agree with with when we're trying to get to very specific things. He will use. I mean, he didn't do that so much with me, no. but I notice he he goes into analogy when when it really I think would be more beneficial to be more specific to define terms and yeah, and and that's the thing. I you know I think that it. I think it for him it it. it I think, and I'm speaking for him. So you know, if. If he disagrees with me, he'll do a 20-minute response explaining it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think what, he, what he, he, for him, I think it's helpful. He thinks in analogies. And so I think that in, instead of the precision that someone like you would want to get in a discussion like that, I think he falls back to analogies because it's what he, like, what he understands better, I think. Um, and I'm speaking for him, so I could be wrong, but... Um, I, I, I do think that there's times where, I mean, I disagree with some of the ways he interprets different mm-hmm. parables mm-hmm. because I think, you know, one of the things, uh, uh, the, the rule or principle of interpreting parables is that you're, you want to look at what the main purpose of a parable is. What is it trying to teach? A lot of people will use parables to teach things that are not the clear purpose of it. And then they kind of like we saw with with Patrick earlier, you know, it's you're starting to take something and give it a new meaning. And I think sometimes that people do that with some of the parables. I think the reason why I don't like his use of parables, I don't mind the use of parables. They help me sometimes because if if a concept in scripture is is unclear to me, sometimes painting a picture helps me understand. Uh, That's just the way my thinking goes. But there's so many assumptions that Dr. Flowers makes in regards to Calvinism and how he flattens things out. People have accused him of flattening out the decrees and things. And and I didn't really pay attention to that, but I kind of see why people say that, is that when he uses an analogy, the analogy does have a one-to-one correspondence with what he thinks Calvinism is and what it entails. Yeah. And so uh, uh, that when he used the analogy, he's trying to do the use the analogy to clarify the text. But the analogy, since it gets away from the text, he creates this this analogy that reflects how he thinks of Calvinism. And then then he'll compare. Look, see, the analogy is analogous how you interpret as a Calvinist this text. And that's why I think at that at that point we want to stay away from analogies and just deal with with the text. Now now our conversation we didn't get to a lot of text. It was towards the end. Um, where we got to, to to talk a little bit about, I think, Romans 8 or, or something like that. Um, uh, so so I don't want to say he, he did that, you know, in, in our discussion. He really did. I, to be honest, I know a lot of people give him slack. He was very respectful, and I, I really did like our conversation. It was helpful to me um, in the sense that it helped me be strengthened in a little bit in my own understanding, even though I still need to flesh some stuff out. But I did find it very helpful, but I do see kind of how he squishes things together and you know, compares apples and oranges, you know, that uh, God's decree of, of reprobating someone is, is kind of like, you know, someone being born with blue eyes. It's kind of, you know, it's yeah. out of your control. So, uh, and I bring it up, there's a difference between genetics and your moral behavior. Uh, but, you know, did you listen to this? Yeah, I did. And and I th- I think, and, and you and I talked about this a bit is, and I forget the exact way that Greg Coco kind of lays mm-hmm. it out, but the difference between someone that's a diabetic needing insulin 
they don't prefer it. There's like a need there versus I prefer vanilla versus chocolate. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's differences there. And I think, yeah, I think there was a, a little bit of a, you know, and, but I, I think when he was saying, well, if your eyes are blue, as if you have no control over it. Now, I think uh, this plays into the fact of his view of Calvinism is what we would maybe say is hyper-Calvinism or determinism, Mm -hmm. that there is no choice. And I know a lot of people have corrected him on that and he, he sticks to that, that definition. But I think, I think that the, the definition, his starting point is problematic. And I think that's why he views everything the way he does. And so when he gets into these discussions, he's viewing it from that. So in his, in his mindset, I think he does view it as a, you got blue eyes or brown eyes. You have no control right. I over think, it. I think it's important to, I, it's, lest we are guilty of, uh, you know, wrongfully accusing. When people say that he's been corrected on this and he continues to say what he says, I don't think because he, he's doing that because he's just ignoring the correction. I think he genuinely thinks that the correction isn't valid because he thinks that kind of uh, our kind of Calvinism, if you if you work it out consistently, is hard determinism. And so he squishes them together, even yeah. though we make those distinctions. He doesn't think those these those are uh, distinctions without a difference, he would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, to, to his credit, if that's his position, but I think he should clarify the little, perhaps he has. Um, yeah. But being corrected doesn't mean he has to accept the correction. Correct. He definitely thinks that we're incorrect in our correction yeah that's and that's a valid point but but see the the flip side of that i'll, I'll take the flip side and say people have argued and, and i think people sometimes will try to take his argument and say he should be an open theist if he's going to be consistent and right. they're going to argue that he actually holds to it even if he doesn't admit to it that would be right. a similar thing he, and I, I agree with that and i still don't know even with our discussion with um with eric i don't know how you can hold to libertarianism and not be an open theist. I understand that he doesn't believe that. And, and I don't mean that in like a, that of course you would say that a Calvinist say that all the time. I genuinely, genuinely based on how I understand God's decree, his act to create and his foreknowledge, I can't see how you could avoid it. If you're explaining the freedom of the will, the way that you are, I, I I'm having difficulty wrapping my head around uh, how you avoid that. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, look, you, you only had an hour, um, this, these things, especially when you try to understand someone's position mm-hmm. in these areas that are, it takes some precision because we can use terminology that we have different understandings of, you know, like with, with Luke, I don't want to, I want to ask him what his definition of something is. I don't want to just guess. Right. Um, it's important to do that because if, if we, and this, this is what you have happen quite often is people respond to what they assume someone's position is rather than hearing them out and actually responding to what their position actually is. That's what I find uh, Leighton flowers often lets people explain, but there are other instances where he just assumes and he'll, you know, he'll, uh, I don't know if you noticed that he cut, he cut in a lot when I, and he did talk a lot. I tried my best not to, I felt like I needed to interrupt because uh, and he gave me permit. He says, I'm long winded if you need to cut it. it was yeah, he, he knows but, that's the and, thing. He at least knows that about himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but in his long winded response, sometimes it gets off the, uh, the main topic. When I was trying to press on the decrees, he went two minutes and then went to a text. And, and I said, I apologize, but we need to go back here 
because we haven't settled this here and the text you're asking about here, I can't adopt how you've defined my own position. So to deal with that. So and and, and that's important back. to do. That's important to do. We saw, you know, I, I did that, had to do that tonight, right? Because people were doing a similar thing. And right. sometimes what it is is because if someone's trying to make their argument, they want to they want to state this here and then jump over there. But if, if we don't agree here at point A, we can't get to point B and C and D. Mm-hmm. Or if we if we agree on A but disagree on B, you can't then move on to C. You you, you in in the discussion you have to come to agreement on the terminology, on the meaning, and you have to understand how the other person is understanding it. Right. And right. that's why I, I, I have this discussion with, with people when people say, Well, if God decrees, then this means this and then that and we tend to respond, well, no, that's not what it means. I find myself now asking the person I'm discussing, what do you think I mean when <laughs> I say decree? Because when I say decree and then you go off into this other thing, I don't think you understand what I mean by it. And so sometimes people just assume because these debates, we use this this language, decree, predestination, and form, we just assume that they have these – Everyone's understanding the definitions the way they think the way they think it's being understood, and and that is where a lot of times we see <clears throat> I want to say problems, but maybe that's not the best word. We see issues arise, mm-hmm. and you see people talk past each other mm-hmm. because they're using different definitions for the same thing, uh, you know, and 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 it becomes something where it's not very productive. It's, I guess we started earlier today with the question of. You know, if an argument is good, Andrew had brought that up, right? If if it's just an argument and you're not trying to learn someone's position, I mean, one of the things that I, you know, folks who 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 know, the, you know, striving for attorney, know the ministry, know me. One of the things I really try not to do is to misrepresent people. When I wrote my book, what do they believe? I went to rabbis with the chapter on Judaism. I went to imams, the chapter on Islam. I went to, to, you know, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and Catholics. And I said, am I misrepresenting the position? And why would I do that? Because I don't want to be guilty of misrepresenting someone else's position. Because if you misrepresent their position and then you make an argument, it's, it's not a valid argument anymore. Because that's not the position. Yeah. And, I, I, there were a couple of things that I, I, I noticed that he that he did as well. When he he, he mentioned Genesis and he uses the um, he uses the London Baptist Confession, the, the sixteen eighty nine, and and tries to point out that when it speaks about the liberty of the will to choose between the good and the bad, he would say, "Look, even the Reformed uh, confessions seem to teach libertarian freedom." Now. I'm not an expert on the confessions, but I never looked at those particular portions of the confessions as equivalent to saying that man is free from God's decree. You could have a decree and still say that Adam was able to choose between the good and the bad, because then you have that whole can and will issue that you need to work out. So I never, the way he suggests, like, well, you know, the Reformed confessions seem to teach libertarian freedom. I don't see that. Um, I don't see that at all necessitated from what the what the confessions say. Also, in Genesis, where he says that when Adam and Eve uh, fell, there's nothing in the text that suggests that they lost the ability to respond to God. Um, and he says, wouldn't you think, I don't know if he said it in our discussion, but I've heard him say it in other discussions, wouldn't you think that if something like that happened, it would be mentioned in Genesis? 
Um, and I thought to myself, I'm like, no, <laughs> it doesn't have to be mentioned in Genesis. I went straight to Romans where it speaks about man not able to submit themselves to the law of God, to which he says that's different than saying that it, the man, the natural man, um, uh, that doesn't mean that the natural man can't admit his need, you know, or humble himself, um, to which I, as I understood it, well, that seems to be submitting yourself to the law because the law includes acknowledging your sinfulness and being humble and submitting. So, so what he says the Bible doesn't explain, he says that Calvinists just read it into the text. I, I don't think we're reading it to the text. I think there are explicit statements which say, you know, it, it, it says man cannot A, B, and C. Now, you might disagree with our interpretation, but you can't say we're reading it into the text because if I didn't interpret, interpret a text, it seems like that's what it's saying, that he's unable to, you know, Romans 8, 7, because the mindset in the flesh is hostile toward God. For if it is not subject, it, it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. That that you, we can fight over interpretations, but just on the face of it, you can't fault me for thinking what I think as a Calvinist. It seems to be straightforward. Yeah, uh, you know, from that text. And I if I just read the text and and accept what it says, you can't fault me for that. We we had that tonight too. <laughs> well, well, we don't want. I, I try to avoid say, framing it in that well, way. Well, it's I know. This, well, see some some of the arguments that we'd have. Like, I mean, the issue we have with with Leighton on some of these issues, and we're, we end up having to wrap up in a bit. I don't know if John wants to do an after show, but the 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 thing that we have to recognize is there are passages that Leighton is going to focus on mm-hmm. to make his argument. There's sure. there's passages you're going to turn to to make your argument. The issue is sometimes. People don't realize that, you know, either we're either one or both sides are misunderstanding the what the passage says, or they both can actually be reasoned together and not be in conflict. Where sometimes for us, we don't fully understand it and we think there's a conflict where God doesn't say there is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's one of the things we have to, to think about in that. Let me give a quick shout out to Jason Manning for a, a, he gave a $5 super chat. Folks that do that, get a shout out. Uh, he didn't put anything in there, so we just gave a shout out to his name. Uh, by the way, I sh- I'll mention for folks is that uh, all of the super chat donations those go to karm.org. Um, so we use their their uh, platform on YouTube uh, because they can monetize, and that way, we're, you know, folks who want to monetize, who want to give super chats, that goes to Karm. Uh, this is not a competition in any way. Karm and Striving Fraternity work together on this. Uh, project, you know, it's uh, it's this is owned by Striving Fraternity, but we have a contract with CARM, so we use their platform. We uh, purposely put the website on theirs so that uh, they get some some traffic, it, you know. And so, but if you want this to continue, uh, if you'd like to help Striving Fraternity put this on, you can go to strivingfraternity.org slash donate. You could donate monthly using either Patreon or PayPal. You, If you want to give a one-time donation, you could do it through PayPal there. You could do either way. We would be glad to receive that. I, I will let you know that I'll be leaving for the Philippines in a few weeks. And one of the things is, is that we've only raised about a third of the funds for me to go to the Philippines. Now, I'm still going. <laughs> We paid for the flight. We're just hoping that we could get some donations to to cover that so that we could do more things like this. The NAR is running rampant over there. There's a lot of bad teaching. Actually, one of the things 
that's a problem out there right now is that between the NAR and the Roman Catholics, there's a bunch of uh, churches that are starting to work with the Roman Catholic churches on endeavors and trying to argue that they have the same gospel message. And so that would be something that um, we're, we're both Justin Peters and I are going to have address while we're out there. Some of the issues that are there and, and they don't have access to having people come in with the solid doctrine to come out there as easily. And so that's the reason that Justin and I committed to going, whether it's funded or not. So if folks don't give, we're still going. It just means there's less ministry we could do throughout the year. So we're, we are asking if you can support after you donate to your local church, don't ever, you know, sacrifice giving to your local church. You're supposed to do that, but if you have means above and beyond and you can go to strivingfraternity.org and donate there, that would be a great help. If you want it specifically to go to that Philippines trip, you can donate and mention that for the Philippines trip. Uh, if you want to donate on a monthly basis, uh, you go to Patreon, you can see the different uh, gifts that you get at the different uh, levels so that you know what you can have. So uh, I will let folks know if you like shorter podcasts, my Monday through Friday, Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report Daily is Monday through Friday, two minutes long. We started a new series this week going through the attributes of God. And so uh, let's see, tomorrow we'll start the first attribute of incomprehensibility. And so those are going to be, I hope, helpful for you, as if you've been listening throughout the week, I mentioned that it is important to understand the attributes of God, because when we understand rightly God's attributes in nature, or perfections in nature, we end up having a right theology. Uh, Theology will not be contrary to God's attributes. So, it's important to study these things. So, I I hope that this show has been helpful. It's been uh, a little bit less of what I had planned, um, uh, Eli and I talked about what we, <laughs> some things we wanted to talk about, but when you do a, an open Q and a show, you never know what you're going to deal with. Um, and you know, I will say this is that, you know, we're all human here. Eli and I, John, we're human, uh, there, you know, you hear some of the frustration we can have in our voice. I know that I had some tonight with where we're going through a verse over and over and over again, and all we're doing is reading the verse, and someone's not understanding it. I, my, my heart is grieved for a man like Patrick, uh, for a man like James, who they can see the scriptures and they ignore it. They don't, they, they read into the scriptures something that's not there. Um, that's heartbreaking because this, you know, people are going to be judged for what they do with God's word. And so that's that's a concern. I, I pray for Patrick. I hope that you guys listening will be praying for Patrick tonight that uh, he, he might submit to Scripture, that he'd find a good church to submit himself to and be under their teaching and be guided and discipled so that he would not be teaching things that are not taught in Scripture um, and that he would be teaching, really teaching the truth, not these things he's he's was explaining here tonight. So be praying for him. And uh, Eli, I'll give you the last word if you have anything you want to share. Um, nothing specifically. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy I, I enjoy these kinds of conversations, uh, even just listening in and um, 
for example, Rome, the discussion with the Roman Catholic, uh, I, I don't have a deep background in Roman Catholicism. So um, it's interesting to hear, you know, how, how some people think and make arguments. And I like to kind of learn as I listen to the dialogue. So, um, and he's not a typical Roman Catholic because, yeah. you know, they would, he would hold to a position where anything like after Vatican II is, is okay. wrong. So he's yeah. got a, a little bit of a different view with that as well. You know, so don't, yeah. don't assume. Okay. I was going to say, don't assume he's a typical Roman Catholic, but I think in his position, he would say he's a typical Roman Catholic and the others are not. So just, yeah. just to be I fair would like to him. give a quick, a quick shout out to a couple of things that I, that I do on Facebook. If anyone's interested in following, I, I work for the Historical Bible Society, where they um, they have me put on videos uh, answering Bible questions and things like that. So if anyone has um, a question that they want me to make into a video, a brief video, um, they could email me at revealedapologetics um, at gmail.com. And um, uh, I have a Facebook page, Revealed Apologetics, which I intend to focus on just presuppositional apologetic stuff. So if anyone's interested in that kind of stuff, I'm going to be making a, um, a series going through how to use that methodology. Why is it different than other methods? Um, you guys can follow me on Facebook at Revealed Apologetics. All right. So check those things out. Check out karm.org. Check out strivingfraternity.org as well. And until next week, remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God.